and welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated appreciated community radio partners across the country and into the United States and across the world as well, as well as our international and possibly space-based podcast listeners. <laughs> well, possibly <laughs> space-based. Yeah. <clears throat> If you listen to the show on podcast, you could be space-based. We don't know. Yeah. Well, we just don't want to discriminate stuff. <laughs> All listeners are welcome. Uh, Dave, you're going to be starting us off this week, but uh, I can really summarize the show, I think, in two words this week, which is fire and oil. But I believe we're starting mm. with oil. Am I correct? That's correct. Big oil news. Take it away, Dave. <clears throat> so the prodigal Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project, Saren, has been dealt another blow by First Nations and associated activists as the Federal Court of Appeals has indefinitely halted the project after finding that the government did not adequately consult with First Nations, nor did it properly consider environmental impacts associated with increased tanker traffic. An earlier court hearing back in June ruled that new evidence from the National Observer exposing the disingenuousness of the First Nations consultation process could not be used, since the whistleblowers remained anonymous. But yesterday's ruling did cite a general wealth of evidence that First Nations concerns were merely jotted down in a decision process that was probably decided from the beginning. Among the evidence was the fact that the government gave First Nations only a couple of weeks to review huge reports, and that during consultations, the government pig-headedly stuck to the National Energy Board's unnecessary stipulation that no additional conditions could be imposed on the project. As well, the board's recommendation had not considered the Liberals' own Oceans Protection Plan, for which they were touting as a solution to the project's risk to marine ecosystems. The Liberals therefore failed to carry out their own promised improvements, and the court unanimously found that the board's process was flawed to the extent that its recommendations could not properly serve as justification for the project's approval. To complete the expansion now, the federal government will need the Supreme Court to overthrow, to overthrow the ruling, or they'll have to force the pipeline through using draconian legislature, or begin the approval process again from the start. Regarding the decision, Chief Maureen Thomas of the Tsleil-Waututh Nation stated, quote, We had a strong sense that the decision had already been made before we even sat down. It was clear from the timing of the decision that they did not meaningfully consider much of the information we provided. The court has agreed with us on every issue. Coldwater Chief Lee Spahan said, quote, Thankfully, the court has stepped in where Canada has failed to protect and respect our rights and our water. Our members will be hugely relieved. Spokesperson for the Squamish Nation, Kilsalem, said, quote, This decision reinforces our belief that the Trans Mountain Expansion Project must not proceed, and we tell the Prime Minister to start listening and put an end to this type of relationship. The expansion is meant to twin the existing pipeline, tripling its capacity and increasing the number of oil tankers going through the Burrard Inlet from 60 to over 400 annually. Back in May, the Canadian federal government decided to purchase the project for almost $5 billion after the company threatened to pull out of the deal amidst legal challenges. The purchase is expected to increase the federal deficit by 36% and, will probably, and we will probably make that purchase, even in light of this new ruling, which could very well signal the death of the project. Kinder Morgan Canada shareholders voted in favor of the sale of the pipeline less than an hour after the ruling was made. Can, just before you even yeah. add any comments, Dave, can you clarify that? I wasn't clear on that one point. So they, they, the sale of the pipeline there, you're talking about after the decision was made. You're not talking about the decision from yesterday, obviously. No, which, which it was. The ruling was made, and 30 minutes later, the shareholders voted to approve the sale. 
Yeah. Wow. That just seems so confusing. Uh, yeah. No. No. no it's like, just this. Is I, what I assumed it was an error because it seemed no. very odd. No. It's yeah. They the had case. agreed. Yeah. They had agreed, which is which is part of this. You know. Can you imagine the idea of thirty minutes after basically you discovering your asset is incredibly less valuable, the ability to sell it at a at a pre-ordered price? <laughs> what a bargain for these wonderful right. shareholders. Right. You know, it is it is baffling. Uh, and of course, I'm sure they planned it to have it right. Like I'm sure they were basically like, okay, we need to have it as quick. We need to know what this ruling is in case they were like, no, build it, and then they decided that they actually want to do it. But that also did not couldn't give the uh, federal government enough time to sort of back out, right. um, which they still can do for about ten million dollars. You're suggesting they knew when the ruling would be made, though. Uh, right, I guess. That, well, they're, 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 the you, courts you have be dates. like standing by, though. The courts okay. had had announced when they would be doing this, mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, a couple of days before. I don't think it was like. No. And it, would, it wouldn't take very much to have a, a shareholder meeting saying, if the ruling comes out as this, our position will be that, and then they just have a press well, release. I think. Ready. Well, I think like they had to go. And I think start they decided. I think something. they decided like in three minutes. Yeah. To sell it. Yeah. You know, like this this massive. Do you want to make lots of free dollars. money off the Canadian government? Yes or no? Yeah. Stick your hands up. Yeah. Um, resounding, resounding yes on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to know who what took two and a half minutes to get somebody's hand up. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Um, and, and so like, we, we sort of Dave has obviously more notes uh, about sort of the each individual response because I think each individual actor's response to this news, all of which uh, will be and needs to be sort of uh, looked into. Yeah. Uh, but as a but as, as a as a first little quick point. Uh, I think it's important to know that the if you look into the rejection uh, of this agreement, if you look into sort of the, the the ruling that was made, it's it's not just a sort of you guys just didn't really do this. You know, you could have done it better. And, and so it's a it is a devastating critique of of, of the consultation process over multiple governments. Mm. Like they went in on this, uh, and and interestingly, even without the extra information about uh, from, from from the National Observer, they were still it was still so clear to them that they that they had sort of we're all re always going to to say yes. In fact, they even get to a point where, uh, in the uh, in the actual in the, in the original National Observer article that sort of talks about the, about the application, they talk about how the how, about how the courts uh, criticized the government that there was no two way consultation. They never brought new information back to the First Nations groups. They mm -hmm. just absorbed mm -hmm. information and then walked away. Mm -hmm. And they was like, that's not. And the, the, the courts was like, that's. By definition, not consultation. <laughs> like if you are not, if you're, if this is a one-sided conversation, all you're doing is taking concerns back. You're not actually engaging in a real dialogue. Right. Uh, that is there's required. no right, there's no review process. You haven't done anything with that information. Therefore, right. you might now not as well as have received it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 not a yes. You're not actually having like if I'm not changing what's going on and then consulting you and bringing this conversation back. All I'm doing is hearing your your complaints. I'm deciding unilaterally what the solutions should be to your your issues mm -hmm. and then moving forward. It's my understanding that before the consultation, the board said uh, to the government or the board recommended that no additional stipulations should be added to the pipeline. Right. And so the government was like, well, exactly. And, 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 this, and, and this leads me to the second greater question, which I've had previously, um, which was with this ruling uh, and moving forward on this ruling, what, how on earth can the federal government who owns the asset Act as if they're doing in good faith consultation uh, with 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 these groups. Mm. You know, like how Not five billion dollars in the hole. Well, exactly. Yeah. Now they have skin in the game, and so the idea that they would be able to actually have a reasonable conversation when you're five when you have a five billion dollar asset that that you are trying to turn into a, a you know bigger asset to then sell again. Mm. You know, you 
I don't, I don't even understand how any consultation you know could be could be considered legitimate mm -hmm. if one side has a just has the ability in the state like if both the regulator and the uh, and the owner of the project are the same organization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 exactly what government's supposed to stop from happening is having the regulators also be you know in in in, in cahoots with the uh, with the owners of the project. But of course, in this scenario, and in any scenario where the federal government is both the owner and the it, and the and the proponent, how do you have meaningful consulta consultation? And it, it fundamentally draws that question into into into. Consideration. Yeah. Consideration. Well, the, there's there's also the the thing I wanted to say about the constitution process as well was that it's inherently designed to seem really fair, uh, but they're right. it's nonsensical. Uh, so if you were actually so the, the they resemble the the workings of a courtroom f intentionally because it gives this mm. sense of fairness and this sense of officiality. Um, but if you're in a situation like. Uh, uh, in your and say I was suing Dave and uh, I had some really incriminating evidence and Dave said objection I don't think this evidence should be considered and, and the judge goes okay well why not it's like because it would make me look very guilty <laughs> um, you don't get to do that right. um, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what happened in these consultations well this is all gonna, we're concerned about this because of climate change uh, well climate change is really hard to define and put into specific purposes so can you demonstrate that this affects you personally okay as a result of climate change my house is going to flood uh, well no well technically because your house might flood and we can prove that but climate change we already said is hard to describe so anything that has anything to do with climate change i'm just going to pretend we have to act in this courtroom as if it doesn't exist mm -hmm. okay well you can have a process that looks like that but you you've just said from the outset that what you're all you're doing is a thought experiment mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't match up to reality as soon as you start getting to block off portions of reality because it's either complicated or makes somebody look bad you're not actually adjudicating anything you're just deciding so, like, let's pretend, let's drop this whole facade of consultations and panels and boards and reviews. None of that really happens as far as the actual decision that's getting made. Somebody makes a decision. They go check out what the process is. They put on a theater about what the process is. And then they do what they were planning on doing anyway. Yeah. And we just need to, we need to stop pretending, and I, I really need to call this out, not because I think listeners to the show thought this, but you need to learn to call it out when other people say it, that when someone says, well, they had a consultation, or well, it went through a review, or well, we'll get to the quotes by some of the people later on, and I'll have the same comment to make, but saying things about, well, blah, 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 you know, this is totally legitimate, and you're just trying to break the, okay, no. Not true. It's just not true. Right. And yeah. And I and I think uh, it'd be it'd be obviously remiss uh, of us not to uh, put uh, to to a declare this a victory and to thank the incredible work uh, of the Stellawatcher Nation, Coldwater Nation, uh, and all the other First Nations that are sort of that were bringing this forward. Uh, but what's interesting about the responses and and what's fascinating about whenever. This is the thing that's, that's that's not just in regards to this particular area, but to but to wider to, to I think to a wider network, it's including you are seeing it you know here like with with Trump and with Ford, uh, and also now on the national stage as well here in Canada, is this one quote I keep coming back to, which is a Frank uh, a Frank Wilhoit quote, um, which is the quote that says conservative con conservatism consists of exactly one proposition. That there must be in-groups who the law protects but does not bind, alongside out-groups who the law binds but does not protect. And I think if you watch this, the rest of this play out, and as we get to the quotes, you'll start seeing this, is this idea that 
conservatism is really all about law and order until the courts actually stand up for someone that they don't think should have the same rights that they do. Mm. You know, that is the moment that suddenly conservatism becomes, the idea of law and order gets thrown out the window entirely. And that's what these quotes are all about, is the idea that, in, in that that I'm like I'm left with this question of like you know these are this is this is a this is a court of law the you know the federal uh, a federal court of law that has ruled on our real laws that exist that say you must consult these First Nations groups they was determined they did not do that and in, in in a way that was so profound that they sort of threw out the entire process and so, and the idea that the courts might protect one of these outgroups that is supposed to be bound but not protected. You know, the idea that these are the groups that are coming out every day and saying, you know, you, it, well, it's, the, it's unfortunately, it's our law that, you know, that, that, that the people who, you know, that, that, that there are people who can kill, you know, you know Tina Fontaine uh, and, and, and get away with it. Uh, but, but this is not accepted. But, but, but once their rights are upheld, suddenly it all gets thrown out the window. And, and, and this, is the, this is the response we're seeing from, all, from so many sides is that this is somehow unacceptable that these people be protected in the way that our laws say they should be protected. You cannot be a law and order conservative, and then as soon as a law happens, as soon as a, a, an agreement that you don't like that protects a certain set of people that you don't care for goes through, that suddenly this becomes this suddenly becomes un- unacceptable, and that's what we're going to see uh, in these quotes. It's, it's not that it's dishonest, Stefan. It's that you forgot that you know, like in sometimes in a name or in a word, there's like a silent T or silent H. It's that you forgot this law and order for white people. It's the, for white people is the silent. <laughs> right. It's a silent for white people. Well, well, and, and, that, and, and that's the thing, right? Uh, so, so we're gonna get. We'll probably only have time to just get Trudeau, and then we'll come back uh, to talk about Notley, because what Notley did is perhaps even more. Like, Trudeau hasn't done much, but what Notley did is <laughs> a whole thing. Uh, and I, I would love to have Lauren on air for Notley. So let's go to Trudeau. We'll do this briefly. That's today's subtitle: Justin Trudeau hasn't done much. So yes, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is still determined to get the project done, Stefan. And his finance minister is calling both the ruling and the shareholder vote, quote, important next steps in getting the pipeline completed. In fact, Bill Morneau has stated that the ruling is proof that their purchase was a good one. He blamed the preceding prime minister, Mr. Stephen Harper, for putting in place the flawed approval process. And he believes the sale of the project will be finalized this very day and is still considering it a good investment with strong promises of future returns. Regarding that purchase... Uh, regarding that purchase, uh, Grand Chief Stuart Phillips said, quote, Kinder Morgan executives recognized Justin Trudeau's desperation to placate the oil lobby and are exiting the project with massive profits on the backs of Canadian taxpayers. That is exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Kinder Morgan executives will say that. You know, like, this makes, like, Kinder, like there's, there was a fascinating uh, National Observer article. My golden parachute has a golden parachute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the there's a great National Observer article uh, a few weeks back about some of the in about some of the uh, internal dialogue within within uh, Kinder Morgan. Because what's fascinating is the internal dialogue in Kinder Morgan is perhaps the most uh, the, like is is perhaps a good example of what what people who uh, what cold-minded conservatives thinking might actually be right. Because we're not experiencing right now a lot of a lot of actual the sort of um, the conservative voice on this is is the voice of the oil lobby who needs to pretend like this is the most important thing ever and has to happen and will be a good idea and has a willing a- and, and, and thrilled it, partner in crime. Yeah, so. uh, but but the, but internally in Kinder Morgan, especially with the documents when they're talking beforehand, and and and, and with within guards, people who are actually paying attention to the project, sort of they saw the issues beforehand. 
And, and Morneau is not wrong in saying that had Kinder Morgan uh, been still the owner of this pipeline, they would, have, they would have abandoned it at this point, unquestionably. Because it's a bad idea. Because it's it a, should be abandoned. Because it won't make money. <laughs> the person who built it because they wanted to use it now no longer thinks it's a good investment. So you're going to buy it from them and sell it to someone else. Yeah, and the someone else is like it's yeah it's it's, it's a terrible business. I, investment. I'm not saying that's impossible situation, but he's saying that's a sure bet. Like he's really clever. Like nobody else could figure that out. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? And like in the real it's question, really, is he like secretly like? Like the they're like Rain Man of finance, and like it's really so simple, and like no one but Bill Moreau could possibly know that what looks like an absolute you just got completely hosed is secretly nineteen different uh, level chess, yeah. and like in twenty sixty seven we're all going to be billionaires. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine like uh, like the the world in the future in which we have Kinder Morgan is somehow the savior of Canadian economy? The second there's uh, no climate change and I'm flying around in my hover wheelchair, Bill Moreau. I will go on air and offer you a one-hour personal apology. Yeah. <laughs> Until that date, yeah. you're a fool. And and, and so we're we're getting to the music break, and so we'll, we'll come back with the rest of the stuff. But I, I I do have one question, which I honestly sort of a question, which is uh, a thing I'll get to as we go through this as well. But I truly think the question now is how far will they go? What is like how far is Trudeau? Uh, or, or the theoretical future uh, conservative government in in Alberta, uh, or like Andrew Shears is already at, uh, like we'll get to him in the next section as well, but he's already really out to lunch. Uh, and so, the question I have is, as these as 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 the legal blocks continue to mount up, and the and 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 the personal and 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 incredible work of all the different activists uh, who sort of put themselves in the way of this project time and time again. As these build up, at what point is do they do they abandon it? Like like at this point, it sounds as if Trudeau is willing to basically put his entire legacy political life world on the line to get this pipeline built, and and that as and that as the as as the as the things come up, please please please, like does this become? arguably a focal point for the determination of what the rest of Canada, what, what the future of Canada is. It, 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 like, because it's getting so much attention and because there's so many different pieces of it and because it, it really does have all these different angles to, br to bring into it. You know, there was a, a former uh, a friend of the show and, and, and former, um, I think we interviewed him a couple times, David Gray Donald, who now works for the, uh, who now works for the Briar Patch out in Saskatchewan, uh, was quoted as saying that he, he hopes someone takes this ruling and, and writes, a, uh, writes a piece about how it's an, op it's, it's an opportunity to actually consider what a real, what, what, what reconciliation and a future for Canada looks like uh, as an opportunity to have that real conversation about this is so obviously antiquated. Right. Uh, and we're and, it, and oil has so obviously running out of time within the world. You know, uh, you know, California is just is, is ready to go down in, in, in a couple. Like, I think twenty forty five is one hundred percent renewable. Um, Quebec has just decided that they are trying to get as as a as a plan or a actually not exactly a one of the parties in Quebec is trying to push for all uh, electric cars by twenty thirty. You know, there's these there's these 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 po points and movements towards this different future that we're just totally ignoring right now, and the idea that. This is an opportunity to ha to really actually reckon to, to reckon with the history of Canada and what we want to be moving forward is becoming more and more apparent. And the more Trudeau picks at this one, the more Trudeau keeps pushing at this one, the more we are uh, going to see it 
raise in profile, and it may be what ultimately takes this man down. Uh, and, and, and from standpoint of that, like he, he gets he gets skewered on both sides. It's a no win scenario. And and if he doesn't get off this train soon, and nobody put him there but himself. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is like this is like this is the Kinder Morgan Titanic. Like it's 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 going down, and he's rearranging deck chairs. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's worse than that. He just bought the boat halfway <laughs> as it's sinking. He bought the boat after it hit the iceberg. Literally. Well, as close after. to literally as a metaphor could be literal. So basically, yeah, yeah, in this metaphor, there, everyone, hey, the, the, the owner of the boat, oh, everyone, uh, the owner's on the boat. The boat hits the iceberg. Hey, do you want to buy a boat? <laughs> <laughs> and to was like, yeah, four 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 hundred million dollars to do this. I always wanted to own a boat. <laughs> I bet in twenty years this will be very valuable. And then Morneau is like, this is proof this was a good idea, right? Uh, boats will only appreciate in value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to the music break. Megan, what do we got? Keep it real, keep it nice and calm now. Walk each morning that you can. I'll salute to her basement nation. Now she's a singer. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, or possibly on the podcast, which can be found along with all our show notes, which are very graciously done for us by Dave. Thank you, Dave. uh, At greenmajority.ca. We're jumping back into our uh, Kinder Morgan uh, update, I guess, uh, and I believe we're also going to be joined by somebody on the phone in just a moment. But to start with, uh, uh, Dave, I think you're going to come back in here. So we're we're picking up our, uh, our Kinder Morgan coverage. Mm, yes, yes. We'll get Lauren on the phone in a second. Um, so to put pressure on the uh, federal government to complete the project, uh, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley has now resorted to pulling out of the federal climate change plan, even though she assures us that climate action is very important to our province's future. Yeah. So uh, or Rachel Notley, what are you like? I, I, I guess you, she was put in a difficult position, although what's fascinating about this position is that she's not nothing changes in Alberta. She's not getting rid of the carbon price and carbon. She's not doing on any of these things. Um, she is literally just saying that in three years, she will not further raise uh, the price to the mandated level. So basically, she is threatening that three years from now, three when she is... past her next election, is Well, it? it's, it's, <laughs> she's next year is the next election. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, so, exactly. Yeah. So three <laughs> years from now, when the theoretical second NDP government, rather than it reverting back to a united Jason Kenney government, which is very likely... Or Maxime. Uh, well, he's running federally. Oh right, right. Um, and and so and so you, you Jason like like she's basically threatening that like the chance that we're even going to see this threat to fruition is uh, is very unlikely. Um, but I did really want uh, Lauren to, co- to come in this one because I feel like she has feelings and she's now on the line. Lauren, how are you doing? I'm well. How about yourself? Oh, you know, we're just having a bit of fun. Just, uh, <laughs> just uh, but now we're getting in all, into all of the all of the other different uh, different stories, and, and this one is we've just gotten to Rachel Notley uh, and and her response, which was like later last night. And so there's not as much news. Uh, the sort of we're, we're, people are still digesting that one, um, but uh, but yeah, they're they're, they're literally <laughs> like th- this is literally the difference. Is that what's frustrating is what she's done is she's given the federal conservatives and the voice and the, the Fords of the world a another example of someone pulling out of the climate change plan, even though the only actual impact it will have is that in 2021, she won't raise her current price of carbon from 30 to $40. It's $10 three years from now, but what she's given is a rhetorical hammer to a variety of conservative uh, pr- premiers around, around the country. Yes. 
No, yeah, that's exactly what she's done. It continues to perpetuate this discourse that carbon plants are bad and carbon plants are evil and they're bad for the economy and they're the reason that, yeah, that they're the reason that Kinder Morgan isn't happening, even, like, even though they're, that's obviously not the case. They're completely separate. But, no, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. It's also just so vindictive and childish, and you can tell she's scrambling. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you, can, you can tell she's terrified, and that's where this comes from. And it's, and it's honestly, if it, if it weren't so tragic and upsetting, it would kind of just be pathetic. Yeah, it, it, is, this, it is such a... It's a it's a depressing cling to power move is what it is. Mm-hmm. It, like it, it's basically she needs something to go into next year's uh, election with, um, and I think honestly Trudeau and Notley about two and a half years ago probably had a conversation uh, where they both were like, okay, here's the plan. We'll we'll both agree on this thing, and then I'll get you a pipeline, and we'll both run on those two things in 2019. And yeah. and the fact that this the process was so flawed and the fact that they did such a bad you know that that society has moved so far beyond their uh their their livelihood uh has gotten us to this point where they're both now floundering because this was their entire plan yeah they they had no contingency (laughs) they had no alternative for this pipeline not going through which blows my mind because again there was for the longest time i sort of convinced myself that Trudeau knew that this pipeline wasn't going to happen and that this was all just like a front. This was just PR to try to save his slightly centrist conservative base. And, and the last like year and a bit, and especially the last few months has shown us that like, no, that's not the case at all. I think he genuinely does think this pipeline is a good idea and is necessary. And, and that completely blows my mind because I don't know, maybe it's because I live in an echo chamber of Twitter and like-minded people, but like, nobody I talk to understands in what world this is a good idea. Like, obviously, yeah, you, you listen to, you listen to CBC, you listen to different political pundits talk about it. And and they speak of this issue as though it's, oh my gosh, it's the end of the Canadian economy. We're all so screwed. But, but really when you get down to it, it's like Kinter Morgan just voted to drop this pipeline like a hot potato. Yeah. (laughs) I know we've, we've already been over this talking point a zillion times, but like you don't get a Texas oil company like essentially giving away a pipeline when if, if, if in any way it was going to be lucrative. Yeah. Like so. if this would make any money, they would not have done this. They uh-huh. wouldn't have done it. Exactly. Especially like they wouldn't have had 99% of their shareholders vote to ditch it. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's a, yeah, like every, everyone's been in a meeting uh, and knows at least 20% of people in meetings, their job is to make you not fin- successfully ha- finish that meeting. And mm-hmm. so the fact that those, even that 19% of people who are, would normally just say no just to be annoying and also were like, you know what? Actually, good point. This is, this is bad. I, I, I think we should donate this pipeline to the Canadian. Like, <laughs> let's make a profit. Let's not be crazy. Right? But like, let's literally, make a modest profit <laughs> yeah. because really in the long term I'm far more concerned about the Canadian economy yeah, yeah, than my yeah. own personal finances yeah yeah uh, exactly <laughs> shareholder no exactly sorry if, if it, no I was going to say if, if this were any other company where 99% of shareholders sold all of their shares in one day like if that wouldn't if, if Apple if 99% of Apple shareholders got rid of their shares all in one day in a, in a matter of 30 minutes 
Well, no, or specifically it, showed up on the at the parliament and said, "Hey, Canadian government, do you want to buy all of Apple? No reason, just offer it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, re- it, it, it's still super great. We're totally confident in its ability to make money. We just thought we just thought you Ooh, might like it. The best political line. I, I, you know, assuming it's Steve Jobs who's not there. Assuming it was a single person, like, yeah, Canadian government, I want to sell all of Apple. You know, I just I feel like spending spending a lot more time with my family. That's yeah, the go-to exactly. line. Yeah, right? yeah. I just as a whole company, we just want to spend more time with our family. Yeah. So, do you want to take this incredibly lucrative company? Offer <laughs> yeah, so yeah. The, so the one person who the, the couple of people who do agree uh, with Justin Trudeau uh, happen to be uh, members of uh, both the Albertan and federal conservative governments uh, who both have some unbelievable quotes. Dave's got two, and then I have a third one just to throw in because Andrew Shear is, I don't know. Yes, uh, Alberta opposition leader Jason Kenney said, "Quote: It is incredibly disappointing to see our judicial branch working against the best interests of the nation." And uh, federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer said, I don't think there's any question who got the better deal, and it's not the Canadian taxpayer. Yeah, and and then the last quote, I have to quote, which something Andrew Scheer tweeted out, which I just, his quote was, uh, what a total mess Justin Trudeau has made. Canadians are paying literally for this utter failure to champion the cleanest, most ethical, environmentally friendly energy in the world. This has to change. No one thinks that. <laughs> I didn't know the Canadian uh, government was investing in, in moon-based biofuels. <laughs> yeah, like, like not even, not even Exxon or Shell. Like these are th- like that is a quote that exists outside of reality uh, in in any capacity. You know, I just don't even understand. Well, because it's pan. It's like I'm, I hope I'm not offending anybody when I say this, but it panders to that base that genuinely. Right. It's like you've seen. I can't even remember what the Facebook groups are, but like the number of the number of like. I don't know, infographics and graphics you see where they try to argue that, like, Canadian oil is more ethical, and by supporting Saudi oil, you're supporting the oppression of women and gay people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's this weird pseudo, it's like, you can tell they're trying to, like, tap into the values of of leftists or centrists. And that (laughs) oil bit came from... Uh, that the, the came from Rebel Media. That was their line. They, like, like Ezra Font started an ethical oil website like years ago. Oh, you know, it, which is That's, like it's so like, old that it's like out of fashion now. Yeah, yeah. There's like, like new groups because it's so old. Yeah, like it, and and yet and yet there yet that's exactly what CPC the, the you know the King Server Party is is still charting out is this idea that somehow like like let's even go on beyond like it is envir- it's the most environmentally friendly energy in the world. That's just like you're not in reality. <laughs> never no, mind exactly. the fact that never mind the fact that conservatives are also upset about Canada snubbing Saudi Arabia in the same breath. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but, and then and then the, I'll, I'll stop harping this one point in a second. But it just, it's so it's so baffling because to me it's like there are ways to argue for this pipeline. And there are ways to make the case that oil is still important. Yes, but, but they're too complicated for the just, people that need to regurgitate those. Well, stuff but even just saying it's the cheapest, most effective, like like it's which like is questionable, but at least is within reality. Like the like it's so it's just, it's baffling that they have to go so far beyond reality to find reasons why this pipeline needs to get built. You know, like there are there are other arguments to be made, and they are not, and and, and it is not that it's the most environmentally friendly thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then Jason Kenney is sort of doing the exact same thing. Uh, and well, Jason Kenney actually, just to, to, to jump back to the sort of thing I, I said earlier in the show, like, he's literally attacking the ju- judges for following the laws. Right. 
Like, that's what he's doing. He's basically saying that how dare judges follow the laws of Canada? Because, like, this is that exact same thing. Could, I, you, you would take this and put it to almost anything else. It's like, you know what's also hurting the economy? Like, the ability for people to take weekends. Weekends are hurting the economy because it's not, because they aren't working seven days a week. How dare the labor laws require you to have weekends? Sleep working is against by the definition. national interest. Yeah, like, like it, and this is the kind of thinking that basically says that anything that's making more money should be better. And therefore, all judges judges are not allowed to hold uphold laws. Like um, it's attacking the basis of our of our nation, and everyone's sort of brushing it off as if as if it's nothing. Congratulations, Jason Kenney. You just made an argument for slavery. It was literally. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, sorry uh, to back up a second. I actually I think that your interpretation of uh, his quote was actually too fair, Stefan. I think it's actually worse than that. I don't think there's any question who got the better deal. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, uh, it is incredibly disappointing to see our judicial branch working against the best interests of the nation. The best interest of the nation is not the important part there. Working against our judicial branch. So he's not, he's accusing them of being political agents. Some yeah. So he's saying that the court system is corrupt. This is like what's happening in the U.S. Trump-level conspiracy theory. He's not just saying I disagree with someone or that I think they were wrong. He is actually accusing the court system of this country of being political agents. And, and this is a person we're supposed to be taking seriously. Well, not only seriously, he's almost certainly, again, I hope not, but almost certainly going to be the, the, the next premier of Alberta. Um, and, yeah, it, like it's, you know, this is the question of uh, of of. Of what of where of when the conservative belief in laws end, you know, like this is the idea that laws are only important until they stop coming. But Dave's got some other notes, and I want to get to the, all of them. So there's some quotes about people who are actually happy about this, um, and then uh, and then we'll get to we'll get we'll get to the end. You want me to stop at the quotes, or am I going to go? No, through? go the whole way. I'm through. going through. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so BC Premier John Horgan says the decision vindicates his position that ecological risk was not properly looked at. <clears throat> and the federal uh, Green Party leader Elizabeth May said, quote, I call on the government to announce that it is abandoning its plan to buy the existing pipeline infrastructure and undertake the expansion project. It's time to say enough. Cancel and walk away. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh made a similar point. Now, the energy sector, obviously, uh, assures us that it is a huge blow to our reputation and our economy will probably tank. And energy shares did go down after the decision, but climbed back up and closed yesterday down 0.3%. One industry group said that Canada's approval process is, quote, close to collapse under the weight of too many conflicting interests and that it's hard to believe, it's hard to conceive of a project that could have had more layers of review, consultation, and approvals at the National Energy Board and Federal Cabinet. To have a court panel review all that work and conclude years later that it wasn't enough will give any project proponent a reason to doubt the wisdom of investing in Canada. Oil Sands proponents are now claiming that cancelling the project puts environment at greater risk since more oil will simply have to be shipped by rail rather than the alternative, which is, of course, not shipping it at all. The financial argument behind the pipeline is that tar sands oil can command a higher price if given access to world markets rather than having to sell to the U.S. at a discount. Some economists argue, however, that this is a complete fiction and that there is no higher price for Canadian crude and our products will end up in U.S. hands anyway since they have the refining capacity. Even so, the pipeline could still be profitable, even with major setbacks to its completion, albeit at the expense of missing our climate targets. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip was surprised by the ruling, and he said, quote, I was expecting to be talking about the need to carry on the battle. I am absolutely elated. As a side note, environmental and indigenous groups in Washington state are also quite happy with the decision, and a new environmental review has also been ordered for the Keystone XL pipeline. So, very quickly, uh, then we'll go to you, Lauren. 
Um, I want to tie this response back to the response to Doug Ford's d- absolute decimation of the indi- of, of the environmental industry, environmental energy industry in Ontario. Um, this is a ongoing process that has reasonable and and followed plans. And the idea that it suddenly did not get through all of the hoops it must jump through to ensure it's safe and reasonable uh, is somehow apocalyptic description of of why of how uh, of how this is unacceptable. Doug Ford just decided he woke up one day and decided to cancel a hundred million dollar wind project, and somehow that is totally fine. Very business friendly. Yeah, like one of these, at least you understood and followed through a process, which is understandable and gave the business understanding of how things are moving forward. The other one is just completely random, and yet I don't hear these same people coming out, coming out and explaining why the destruction of the of the of the of the renewable energy industry in Ontario is not showing that Canada's closed for business. You know, it's 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 their understanding of industry is so specifically tied to oil that it is it is it has tr- become unbelievably transparent. Lauren, that's a throw to you somehow. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, thanks. You've given me so much to comment on. Um, no, I think you were going through quotes, um, and one that I didn't hear you say, but was was one that I pulled out earlier. It was a I can't remember if it was a tweet or where I got this from, but it was Jason Kenney. And he was whining about how they, meaning the, the judiciary, keep moving the goalposts on what is required. And it's like, well, yeah, like that's what action on climate looks like, Jason. <laughs> moving the goalposts. Like it's called ratcheting up. Did no one did no one explain to you how policy works? Any, anyway. You're not moving um, the, the goalpost. The goalpost has always been on a conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, no that's, one's that's changing the goalpost. The, the entire point of the goalpost is that it will move slightly to the left every few minutes. Exactly. <laughs> that is the entire point of the goalpost. Um, and then throwing back to, I think it was something you were saying, David, but just about how, like, yeah, basically, Kenny and, and Sheer have been arguing that, like, anything that makes money, no matter the cost, socially or environmentally, is, like, is necessary and is what we need to do. And then I think, Sarah, you, you alluded it to, like, <laughs> condoning slavery, basically. And Which is a like, comment I've made about things Andrew Kenny has said for years. So this Jason is not a new, Sorry, Jason Kenny. So this is not new, uh, that he makes arguments that are indistinguishable from defending slavery uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. Basically, what I want our listeners to take away from this is that this is why we need to overthrow capitalism. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> the and it like it is the um it's it's fascinating the all of the ways that this has boiled down and i think what's uh, like i do think that there is some there's an important conversation to be had here because it is it i guess when something like this occurs it it gets both sides are so certain that they are the rational individual that is operating and the other side is completely out to lunch um and and then you, and then you, and then, and as you dig in, there are, you know, the, the, you know, the, I'm sure the Jason Kennedys of the world would, would see us, uh, well, honestly, they would accuse us of wanting to overthrow capitalism, which in some ways we just did. Um, and so, and it's absolutely what we want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which actually makes me the most desirable person to talk to at this table because I actually just want to control it and refine it a little bit. And that should scare the right <laughs> out of any conservative. Yeah. That I'm the person they're going to be dealing with to find a most reasonable. Yeah. yeah you're welcome, Jason Kennedy. <laughs> you're um, welcome. The, but, but there is, you know, it it does come down to, I guess this shared. It, it, it's, it's a fascinating shared. Maybe I don't know if it's a shared desire, but I, I feel like everyone on both sides d- says they want to follow the rules uh, and and maybe improve the rules. Uh, and and certainly, like what's interesting even about that moving goalpost by Jason Kenny comment is 
they, they, that's not even accurate. The goalpost was consult these people effectively. You didn't do it. And someone said you didn't do it. Like that's not that has nothing to do. Like that is that is not fail. That is not moving the goalposts. That is a failure at the f- the one of the fundamental requirements for these thing for these for these pipeline projects to proceed is a duty to consult. Now you can come out and say we just shouldn't have to listen to them, which is actually what the undertone of that whole comment is, right? Uh-huh. The, the, the undertone uh-huh. is is that how dare these laws hold me uh, and protect them? They're supposed to hold them and protect me. How dare this? Like that's what's actually being said. But the fact that we are not getting that, and the fact that like th- that you see that the fact that they experience any no as a grave injustice. Uh, I think should be the concern. Justice feels like oppression to the privileged. It's right. that, like, that exceptional and, and, uh, and often found use for quote these days. Yeah, and, and that is what we're seeing here, right? Is that quite, is, is how that continually gets pushed. Uh, we're running out of time, though, so Lauren, I want to give you a chance for uh, last comments, uh, unless your TED Talk was your last comment, in which case that's totally fine. Uh, pretty much my last comment, but yeah, just, just reiterating what you basically just said, is that these people only want to follow the rules when it benefits them, and unfortunately this is one of the times when it doesn't, and what we're seeing right now is a whole bunch of really gross, immature temper tantrums. And, and unfortunately, these people are only going to continue to get more power because they are going to... I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that for sure. But it's, it's definitely looking as though Jason Kenney is going to be elected in the provincial when, when Alberta's provincial election happens. And then there's a, there's a very good chance we could end up with a minority conservative government in the federal election, even if the liberals call it in the spring instead of the fall. So... Um, yeah. Yeah. So the work is not over. Uh, we no, should celebrate. We should not. celebrate this win. We should thank uh, all of the you know, Tsleil-Waututh and all of the other uh, Indigenous nations that sort of put this forward and and got this win, got this victory for honestly all of us and those mm-hmm. of us who care about about, about climate. Um, and then we should get back to the work of <laughs> trying to figure out, um, you know, how we how we how we ensure that this that the laws of this nation are continually uh, upheld in a way that actually protects everyone. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. uh, uh, just as the end of the section, I know we're, we're over time, but I just I, I can't I don't want to drag this into the next section. So just really important point we haven't talked about yet as well, which is that this is great news. But right now, the conservative message is the message that's permeating into the media um, for worse. I wasn't even going to say for better or worse. The sort of conservative message is the one. Those are the images and the, and the stories that are that are being put out in the media. So if we have this win, but the conservatives control the message all the way to the next election, it will all be meaningless and, and Trudeau will lose. And this will all be for nothing. So that's not a doom and gloom story. That's a, this, this, the battle now needs to be joined to make this mean anything uh, as far as pushing back on the message uh, on that uh, in our personal lives or, or wherever as necessary. Uh, because yeah, because uh, you know, Stephen Harper 2.0 can just yank this whole thing right out of the ground. So let's uh, let's celebrate, but fight on. Yeah. Uh, going to our music break. Thank you so much, Lauren. Uh, we can hear from Megan now for our music break, and we'll be right back for a very brief final section. And we 
we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners across the country and into the world, as well as our international and possibly space-based podcast listeners at greenmajority.ca, where you can find the podcast and embedded player so you don't have to download anything, uh, and uh, as well the show notes uh, put together uh, every week by Dave. Thank you, Dave. And speaking of Dave, back to you with our final news segment. Well, if you are space-based, you're going to want to think about becoming faith-based because <laughs> emissions, emotions, smoke, and flames are running high and rampant all over the west coast of Turtle Island. The ongoing wildfires in California have been declared shocking and unprecedented for an area already used to large fires, and several months still remain in the season, given there were people fighting wildfires last year right up through Christmas Day. Drought has increased fire risk as dead plants can spark into flames very quickly and the wind can sprint it around, and wildfire season is 78 days longer than it was in the 60s and 70s, and firefighters are being put in increasing peril through exhausting conditions, and a man died recently evacuating people from Redding as the town was consumed in a fire NATO. Not too long ago, <coughs> fires were called big when they reached 10,000 acres, but the Mendocino complex fire just crested 400,000. Everything about fighting wildfires in California has become more intense, and firefighters are leaning on each other for emotional support, not sleeping for days, spending months in the field and curling up on the scorched ground to gain some brief shut-eye. Intense sweating, cramps, and nausea set in as symptoms of heat exhaustion, as sleep-deprived firefighters are risking delirium in the flames. In the heat of the work, firefighters can lose six kilograms of water weight in one shift. Carol Wills, spokesman for California Professional Firefighters, said, quote, Our resources are being pushed to the limit. It's going to exact a price. Smoke storms from such fires are darkening the skies of Seattle as new research is finding that air pollution reduces intelligence. Earlier this month, Seattle's air was the filthiest ever recorded, and then it broke its own record a few days later. Air quality has gotten better since the 70s due to environmental regulation, but is slipping back because of wildfire smoke. In some places in the region, air quality is at its lowest in recorded history. Low-income and immigrant workers are most at risk from smoke problems due to having to work outside. Washington State has historically been quite smoky from wildfires, but the problem has been exacerbated in recent years due to invasive grass species, poor forest management, urban sprawl, and climate change. Indigenous groups used to maintain the forests through low-intensity burns, which reduced the fuel that fires needed to spread, but governments have tended to aggressively suppress smaller fires in order to have more timber to harvest, further densifying the forests and worsening the intensity of wildfires. The U.S. Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, agrees that forests need to be managed in light of the increasing problem, but appears to put the sole blame for the issue on environmental groups not allowing logging companies to thin the forests. His claim is that the forests would not be so thick if only environmentalists had not tried to disrupt logging through legal battles. Others point out that the very fire suppression tactics that have left Californian forests so dense and dry were designed precisely in order to protect the timber industry. Donald Trump also recently tried to blame environmental regulation for California's wildfire problem, stating that firefighters didn't have enough water to fight the fires with due to environmental laws, but everyone actually involved in the problem was merely confused by his claim, since a water shortage was not one of their concerns. 
meteorologist and professor of atmospheric sciences Cliff Mass prescribes major investment in, in proper forest management, stating, quote, it would cost billions of dollars to do, but we're going to pay for it anyway. You might as well do it smart and take care of it. So quickly, because we uh, want to get to to the last story as well, I want to pull out. Uh, well, I want to pull one one word uh, from that, and then I want to. And then I w- have one other thought. The one word is smoke storms. Yeah, that was this a new, is, that's this, a new coinage. Yeah, like this that's is a, a world where we're we're somehow creating new weather event. Like like I'm sure like obviously large fires have used before, but the idea that smoke storms are now a consideration that have to like I have to know about them. Right. I would be very happy living in a world where smoke storms were not a thing I can add. We're gonna need about. new terms, Stefan. We're well, gonna need new terms. Do you do you remember do you remember that like factoid that may or may not be true, but everyone was told as if it was true in like grade three about the Inuit having like seven thousand. Right. Maybe it's true. Word, I don't know. Word, I'm word, just saying first, everybody no. yeah. heard mm. that. Yeah. Uh, who knows if it's true? Yeah. Probably, probably is true, but I don't know. But yeah. everyone heard that when they were little, right? Right. Um, yeah, so it's like that thing, and the the reason is is because you know the precipitation system is is they're essentially their entire climate, and so you have to mm-hmm. be able to differentiate because mm-hmm. that's sort of the extent of their entire. You know, they don't need words for climates; they never exist, and they need a lot of word for an environment where those little minute changes might be real big differences, right? Yeah. There being a slight gradation in in pack. Uh, density may affect your ability or your safety to travel. So those things are important. So when we're seeing all these words come in, it's be, it's for that same reason, right? We're now existing right. in a world where all these things are happening so much and it is so constant that we need to be able to differentiate them with new terms and we can't just say, oh, that smoky windstorm. We right. now say a smoke storm because there is a smoky windstorm and it was two days ago and <laughs> right. it's slightly different. Yeah, yeah, the smoky windstorm was, a, was, right. like, was only was like a Was that a windy smoke storm or a smoky windstorm? Yeah, no, oh, yeah. no, it was just a pure storm. Uh, smoke storm, yeah. It was a smoke storm. Yeah, right. and then we'll get Not like, to be confused with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's mm. true. You know, like yeah, the way that language evolves shows you and is a, is a good example of how your world around you exists. And the other thing I want to just I'm just going to keep get I'm going to keep throwing this this belief out uh, until until either I'm I die and then I will have been proven wrong, or uh, or it happens and then I will declare myself right. Uh, so either way, I win. <laughs> um, which is that this kind of thing will end up being the job of the U.S. military. The U.S. military, uh-huh. especially the Peace Corps, uh, or versions of that, will only like these will only get worse, and we're not funding them. So eventually, there, yeah. someone is going to have to find a way mm. to do this, and I almost guarantee you, it's going to be the one place that still has not been defunded, which is the military. Uh, and I do not know what implications that will have. I told you all, you, all we had to do to solve this problem was get Donald Trump to declare a war on climate, and <laughs> this thing would have been wrapped up in five minutes. <laughs> I, 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 no, no, I think someone else might. Donald Trump's war on climate, he just shoot <coughs> the air. Um, but uh, there's uh, more fires, but this time in Canada. Yes, so British Columbia is also up in flames as we speak, literally this time, as opposed to the inflamed political rhetoric being thrown around. And the fires will continue as almost a quarter of the province is sitting at the highest end of the drought scale. So if it gets any drier, we will need a new scale, and recent rain and cooler temperatures are not yet enough to quell the drought. What is very strange is the intensity of the drought in the northern part of the province, which usually doesn't experience the same kind of dryness, with many streams and rivers left parched and cracking. Many larger rivers are at their lowest levels ever recorded, which is dangerous for fish populations as spawning season dawns. 436 wildfires were still burning as of Monday, and the drought decreases the amount of water available for fighting the fires. If large rainstorms do not fall soon, the drought could end up being worse than 2015, which was considered the worst drought in memory. Such large rainstorms are not currently on the horizon, and this year, in concert with California, 
is officially the worst fire season on record for British Columbia, as almost 13,000 square kilometers have burned up, breaking the previous record which was set just last year. The factors causing the fires are the same as in California in terms of lack of controlled burns and fire suppression, but climate change has a more direct influence in BC fires since a change in weather patterns has caused warmer and drier systems to remain in place for longer than normal. The top five largest areas burned in a year in BC are as follows. 2018 with 13,000 square kilometers, 2017 with 12,000, 1958 with 8,500, 1961 with 5,000, and 2014 with 3,700. So that gives you an indication of just how much is being burned this year uh, historically. Firefighters are coming from as far away as Mexico to help out in places like Shovel Lake where some residents are defying evacuation orders to stay home and protect their communities. A new study is showing that more wildfires are greatly increasing permafrost thaw in Alberta and the Northwest Territories in an abrupt fashion that is considered irreversible. Such thaw not only destroys habitat and exposes new carbon to the atmosphere that was being stored in the frost, but also destroys buildings and infrastructure and is currently costing $51 million in damages every year to public infrastructure in the Northwest Territories. Some are pointing out that, some are pointing out that a bit of investment in permafrost building protection could spark a new industry and bring economic growth to the territories. The huge clouds of smoke over the west are indeed visible from space and are causing overcast, asthma-inducing weather to sweep over huge areas, jeopardizing people's mental and physical health. People are being told to stay inside, specifically in large public buildings with good ventilation systems, such as malls and movie theaters. Dr. Courtney Howard of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment pointed out, quote, for the longest time, we were talking about polar bears and asking people to change their behaviors on behalf of the polar bears. But really, we are seeing very clearly that this is about our children. This is about what we breathe. As a physician, I'm concerned not only about the number of patients I'm going to treat, I'm concerned about our ability to treat them. Grand Chief Edward John of the Slatin Nation said, quote, stated, quote, uh, sorry, that's Tlazden Nation, said, even though First Nations make up 5% of the Canadian population, at least 50% of all evacuees from disasters are First Nations, Aboriginal peoples. We are impacted in a greater way than other people, so we need to take, we need to take measures because we're going to see these fires into the future. Thank you very much. And I think this is a, that's a good sort of round to the end of uh, the show uh, because it is not only that uh, these First Nations groups are often the... Uh, so the, the the front lines fighting for uh, for protecting the both the land and and climate, but they're also often the f people who are sort of experiencing the 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 detriments uh, the most as well. Mm -hmm. And and I think if there is a if there's a if there's a if there's a path forward, the path forward is 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 is, is really through listening to the people who are being truly affected. And perhaps understanding how it is to actually take care of this land. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which we're currently destroying because well, we have not listened to them. Well, exactly. And, and to, to jump back to the, the previous story uh, about the, the criticizing environmentalists for not logging more, as if, as, mm. if, as if that is the way to prevent forest fires is to cut all trees down. Well, it would, it would thin the forests. Right. The well, but the reason it's thick is in order to have more timber. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, like the, there's there are forest management techniques, mm. and, and you can learn actually how to do effective forest management. Uh, in, in, in like like you know, indigenous people used wood that they're for, for, through forests that they were also managing. Like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a ways mm-hmm. to properly manage these forests that we're certainly not doing, and and so these it you know it, it's uh, the fire and oil is a funny thing to 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 to, to look onto because given how much. Uh, this this conversation about whether or not we can get more oil in the con- in, 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 through this is a solution to this fire problem is is mm-hmm. you know just totally out to lunch. Um, but we're we are running out of time on the show. Yeah, let's, let's pump that oil through those wildfires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's certainly safe. Let's that's do it. Um, I do want to end the show on, on on one particular thing, which is it's a, it's a happens. It's rare that uh, that both a friend of the show and a listener of the show mm. uh, their birthday is on the day we actually air. Uh, so happy birthday to sustainable fashion designer Peggy Sue who came on a couple weeks ago. Happy birthday, Peggy happy Sue. birthday, uh, and uh, thank you to everyone, uh, and have a wonderful long weekend. Have a wonderful long weekend. Take care.